Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 348 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Jason Evans with you today and joined, as I always am, by Sam Klein and Donald Wine. It is time, gentlemen, for us to talk about Countdown to Craziness, our first really, really good look at the 2021-22 Blue Devils happened over the weekend um, as, as the crazies turned out. Cameron was full. We're going to be talking all about that stuff before we do. Let's all say hi like we always do. Sam Klein, I'll start with you first. How are you doing, Sam? I am good. It is Sunday evening, so I guess it's, it's time for Sunday scaries, but I'm not feeling them right now because uh, I feel pretty good about what we saw from Duke men's basketball on Friday night. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Donald, how are you, my friend? I was great. I was at the lake with some buddies this weekend and we just kind of relaxed, which was a, a welcome change for me. But I came back to an era of excitement because I was able to watch Countdown and I'm very excited about what I see from this team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, folks, just so you know, uh, Sam is in Boston, as he always is. Donald is in Washington, as he always is. I'm in a strange location. I'm in a Las Vegas hotel room right now. Um, as I mentioned in the past on the podcast, I'm um, out here playing in some World Series of Poker events. I, I went to a, uh, a chain smokers. Um, uh, uh, chain smokers are a uh, electronic dance music band, whatever you call them, DJs. I went to a chain smokers concert last night. It was awesome, unbelievable. I highly recommend it if you're ever ever able to do that. But before I went to the chain smokers, I watched Duke basketball. And that's what we're really here to talk about mostly. And guys, the way I want to do this is this. I'm going to toss out Jason. Yeah, Jason. Yes. Uh, World Series of Poker. Can we get your Can we get your current chip count? How How are you doing? And how are you doing relative to expectations? Uh, okay. So first, how am I doing? Uh, I I have not played in an official World Series event yet. Um, I I was at the Chainsmokers concert until about five a.m. Las Vegas time. I'm from the East Coast, so that's like eight a.m. Ooh, it was it was late. So there was no way following that that I was going to play in a World Series of Poker event. I would have fallen asleep at the table. I played in a satellite event. I, I did fine. I did pretty well. I, I did not make the money, but I, I was pleased with how I played. Um, tomorrow will be my first official World Series of Poker event. Um, my my chip stack is fine. I, I got I got no so complaints we'll get, about what's we'll, going on. So we'll far. get we'll get more of an update from you later this week and hopefully it'll be happier. Oh, yes, that would be wonderful. I'd love to finish in the money in a World Series event. That'd be very, very cool. But guys, like I said, here's how we're going to do the countdown to craziness recap. I'm going to ask you all specific questions and, and I want very specific answers. Um, so we're not just going to be rambling on and on. We're going we're gonna to have some focus here. And the first question I have, after watching Countdown to Craziness, 24 minutes, we got to see these players play, 12 minutes in one scrimmage, 12 minutes in another scrimmage. I want to know which starter impressed you the most and and I think it's clear we know who the starters are they, they're the guys who played in the second scrimmage on the white team in the first scrimmage that they sort of divided up the teams and had you know the starters and the subs mixed in the in the second scrimmage it was clearly starters against subs um, and so uh, your your choices for the starter who impressed you the most are of course Jeremy Roach Trevor Keels Wendell Moore Paolo Bancaro and Mark Williams which of those guys Donald, I'll call to you first. Which of those guys impressed you the most in the scrimmage? It was Trevor Keels for me. Uh, I thought he was splendid uh, just watching him play in both, in both scrimmages because, as you mentioned, there was two separate scrimmages. I thought he did great in both of them. His ball distribution was great. His shooting was great. His driving to the basket was great. And also just his presence because, again, you know, we've talked about how big he is, like how tall he is and how wide he is. 
it looks like that when you're talking about the where the where the camera angle is from the crow's nest at Cameron Andrews Stadium, he looks like a big man guard, you know, handling the ball. And I think that is a very, very good thing to have uh, for us. So, and again, he's not even going to be the major ball handler, but he was very, very capable of doing that uh, when he had the blink. So Trevor Kills was my guy that really impressed me with his play during countdown. Sam, who is your pick for the starter who impressed you the most? I'm very glad that Donald took Trevor Keels because I think his debut was the one that we were probably most nervous about, given that he was presumably the stand-in for A.J. Griffin. Not obviously exactly the same position, but of all the people we talked about sort of stepping into Griffin's role while Griffin is out, Keels, to me, feels like the most important, especially after what we saw in this scrimmage where he clearly was sort of commanding that amount of time. The guy that I wanted to focus on, though, was Wendell Moore Jr., who didn't score the most points in in this scrimmage, but looked, to me, the most poised of anybody on the court. That is on offense and on defense. That was um, not necessarily handling the ball, but but directing the offense when when he was on offense or when other guys on his team had the ball. He was he was pointing guys where to go. He was creating spacing on the floor. He was making awkward jump shots when he had to. And that I think is, is a lot of what we expect out of Wendell Moore this year. I think it's also easy for Duke fans, especially over the last few years to underrate the impact of upperclassmen guys who have, who have been through it, but haven't necessarily been stars. Wendell Moore, you know, kind of fits into the mold of, of maybe some previous veterans that we've seen like, Emil Jefferson, like Quinn Cook, like Grayson Allen, guys who, who have been coming back year after year and really become leaders, not just great players on this team. So I was really excited not just to see the, the physical development in Wendell Moore, which we've heard a lot about over the summer, but, but sort of his poise on the court and the way that he is able to direct the rest of the team around him. So Sam, I love your comments about Wendell, Wendell Moore, and I agree he looked really great, but the correct answer to the question of which starter impressed you most is Trevor Keels. <laughs> uh, Trevor had 19 points, five assists, zero turnovers, two steals. He shot eight of 14 from the field, including three of seven from three. And to me, almost the most impressive thing I saw from him was his defense. I thought he was outstanding on defense. He made in the second scrimmage when Jalen Blakes was bringing the ball up court. It was not Jeremy Roach who was guarding Jalen Blakes. It was Trevor Keels who was guarding him. And he made it really hard on Blakes to even get the ball over half court. Trevor Keels' ability to use his length, his strength, his physical attributes to, to, to just make it hard for guards, for opposing guards to get where they want to get is a really big deal. And, and Keels had a great moment in that second scrimmage where he scored a basket and then stole the inbounds pass with those really long arms of his uh, and immediately, you know, it was like a, a, a two-point play suddenly turned into a four-point play um, in a matter of seconds. And, and I just, you know, we'd heard um, uh, and we'd seen from the earlier scrimmages that, uh, that Trevor Keels was, was performing really, really well. And, and in fact, even before A.J. Griffin went down, Keels was starting and Griffin was coming uh, off the bench for, for Duke. Uh, and and you guys may recall on an earlier podcast, I said that I felt like after watching a little bit of his play, that Trevor Keels was the kind of guy who you wouldn't necessarily notice like a ton of flashy stuff from him, but you might look up and go, oh, wow, that, that guy led us in scoring. I didn't even realize that it was him. Um, that was the, uh, that was born out in a big, big way 
in this scrimmage. Uh, Trevor Keels' 19 points led the teams, led, led both teams in scoring. And, and, and like I said, I thought he was absolutely the best player um, of, of all the starters. And on Keels, I guess the thing that I was most worried about, and it's probably just from a lack of, of you know, paying too much attention to the, to the practice footage, is that when Duke recruited Keels, I think a lot of the conversation was, oh, he played with Jeremy Roach for a couple of years in high school, so he's going to compliment Jeremy Roach really well. And so my thinking was going even into this blue-white game, oh, well, I, I hope I get to see Trevor Keels sort of playing with Jeremy Roach and not against him because I'd like to see how that, uh, how that dynamic works. And it turns out that Keels is actually very dynamic on his own. And, and he's able, as you said, Jason, he's able to, to make a lot happen on defense uh, that doesn't necessarily require Jeremy Roach to be next to him, which I, I think bodes well for the guard rotation because there will be times during games where Keels is playing shooting guard and Wendell Moore is notionally the point guard or even Paulo Bancaro is notionally the point guard for this team. Yeah, and I think when it comes to Trevor Keels, I think on defense, the way how wide he is, is going to tire out guys. How big he is, is going to tire out opposing players because none of these guys are as big as him. They're not as fast as him. They're not as wide as him. And if he's going to be able to be as quick as them, that's going to make them be frustrated. They're going to be tired out and they're going to have to throw a lot of guys at him while taking the focus off some of the other scores that we have. And as you noticed, he's still going to get his bucket. So I think that's a really big thing that we've noticed and developed from the summer. A Trevor Keels that can be as dynamic as any other player on the court is going to be a godsend for this team, especially when we're thinking about him. He's not going to be the first or second scoring option, but he could be the third or fourth. And if he's third or fourth and putting in 10 to 12 points, five to six assists, we're going to have a really good basketball team. Yo, Donald, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that Trevor Keels leads this team in scoring. I'm, I'm absolutely, about that. you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, I think that is a, I think an overreaction, but there'll be games where he leads this team in scoring and no and, question about that. Yeah. That's fair. And would not be, That's like, as you were yeah. saying, Jason, he's, he's good enough at making baskets and making baskets both on designed and on broken plays that there'll be games where he scores 17 points and you didn't notice more than two buckets. Exactly. Exactly. So guys, my second question that I have for you all um, plays off of this first question and it is, Hey, wait a second. We didn't talk about Paolo Bancaro and we all thought that Paolo Bancaro was going to be the best player on this team. Um, are you at all concerned about what you saw from Paolo in this game? Did, you know, the hype on him, this is guy, this guy's supposedly future number one pick in the NBA draft, a, a potential first team, all American, um, Sam, I'll start with you. Are you, were you worried about what we saw from Paolo in this blue white scrimmage? I'm not worried because there were flashes of what we know is in there in, in Paulo's skill set. I think particularly on offense, but also on defense, there were a couple moves that he made, especially going to the basket with, with, uh, you know, with some momentum that made me excited. It wasn't happening throughout the game. I think that he is probably still getting his legs under him and, and we probably underrate how hard that is for freshmen, even for freshmen who are as talented as Paulo is. Let me come back to this question after Duke plays Gonzaga. And after I see him in that primetime matchup against Chet Holmgren, because 
that I mean that 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 game is going to be big for Duke on a number of levels and 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 in a number of factors. Uh, it sounds like I guess Mark Few is going to be coaching in that game, uh, despite despite some of his uh, uh, despite some of his transgressions over the summer. But uh, seeing seeing Paulo against Chet Holmgren in that game, not in some AAU, not in some you know high school game, seeing them in a in a big time game where it's Duke and Gonzaga on the jerseys, that's when uh, you can come back to me and ask. Are we worried about Paulo? But but as of the blue-white scrimmage, I think he's just letting the game come to him a little bit, and he is going to develop into a special player regardless of what we saw on Friday. All right, Sam, I do want to point out very quickly that we just got done praising Trevor Keels for having a great game, and then you immediately said, I'm not worried about Paolo. He's just a freshman, and he had the oh, freshman I, jitters. <laughs> what, what, no, you know what? I, I think it's a good point, and, and it actually highlights how excited Duke fans, I think, should be about Trevor Keels. Because not everybody comes into the blue-white game as a freshman and looks as as poised as Trevor Keels did. I, I think it actually we're, we're we're underrating it because I want to talk about Wendell Moore and I want to talk about other guys. I think Duke fans should be extremely excited about what they saw from Trevor Keels, and that is not to say like go back last year, as good as we thought Jalen Johnson was at the beginning of the season. Mark Williams was still like kind of finding his footing and was Kinda? not great early in the year. And, and, and by the end of the year, how excited were all of us about how good Mark Williams is and how much, you know, we, we haven't talked about Mark Williams and Theo John's performance yet in the blue white game, we'll get but just it. how rock solid those guys were in this scrimmage and, and how excited we are for them. We'll get to it. We'll get to it in a second. All right. Uh, so Donald, uh, your turn to answer the question. How concerned were you about Palo Bancaro? Not even a little bit, um, because, again, I go back to the question that you asked us. It wasn't which starter was the best or which starter should have played the best. You asked which starter impressed us the most, and I thought that was Trevor Keels, but that doesn't mean that Paolo Bancaro was not in himself impressive. I thought he was. He showed flashes of that, as Sam said, but also this is still a scrimmage. We haven't seen these guys play against another team yet. That's when you start trying to really figure out Hey, how are they going to play against college competition? And they're going to be there at this point. They've played three months against themselves and they're probably tired of playing against each other. Right. So at a certain point, you want to throw another body in there and have these guys that you're going to battle with in practice all the time on the same side as you, as you all lead together. So I think Paul is going to get there. He he's, I thought it was totally fine what he did during a uh, countdown, but I also think that, there's a lot of expectation on him. And I think it's unfair to say we should be upset or worried after one 12 minute scrimmage or two 12 minute scrimmages when really we have all summer and all winter and all spring to get to March. And that's when we want him to be at his best, right? I don't care if he's the number one pick on November 6th. I want to be number pick, number one pick and play like it in March. That's what we're looking for. All these guys get improved uh, to improve before March. Yeah, so I'm going to be the realist here, and I'm going to say I'm not going to say I was concerned about how Paolo played, but this was not the effort that this was not what I expected to see from Paolo Bencaro. Um, he was missing a lot of shots that that I really thought he was he was going to make. He was only five of eleven on the day, and remember, this is a guy who gets in the lane and and you know scores close in baskets pretty easily. So to be five of eleven is not great. Um, he he missed all three of his three pointers. He was just one of five at the free throw line. Uh, we need him to hit his free throws. He's going to get fouled. 
And uh, I, I, I'm, again, I'm not going to say I'm concerned about Paolo, but uh, it, it was not the debut that I expected to get from him. Now, I will say on a positive note, he got the shots he wanted. It was clear he was taking shots that he's confident in and that he knows he can knock down. Um, so I, I, I think that probably, you know, this was maybe a little bit of an aberration. And, and in fairness, he was, he was in double figures, even though he, he didn't shoot great. Uh, and, and he just looks unbelievably smooth on the floor. He's able to do things other than scoring to impact the game in a positive way. So that's, that's, that's great. It's a big thing for him. All right, guys, so we're going to move on to the next question. We've talked almost exclusively so far about the starters. Time to get to the subs. I want to know which sub, which non-starter impressed you the most. And Donald, I will come to you first on this one. So for me, it was Theo John. Um, and it, it was even just the impression that I got when he came out on the floor for the introductions. You know how they all have their introductions. Some guys come out to music. Some guys do a dance. Uh, we saw Michael Savarino jump up on the press on press row and and lead the lead the crowd in Miley Cyrus party in the USA. But Theo John just came out and said, "Hey, I'm Theo. It's good to be here in Cameron," and played like it. Like this guy is a very impressive dude because he is a huge body in the post. He obviously knows exactly where he needs to be on the court, and he can physically intimidate you. Right, like he can alter shots just by his presence. Same like Mark Williams does. And I think I've said it again, I said it a lot on this podcast, but Mark Williams, if Mark Williams is one of the best players in college basketball this year, it will be because Theo John helped get him there because Theo John is probably the perfect compliment to him to learn from him, to grow from him, to get big and know where to be on the court and where to make yourself the most physically imposing on the, on a defense or on an offense. So uh, that was the mo- that was the guy that impressed me most. There was other guys that really impressed me, but Theo John, I'm going to love watching him play this year. Unfortunately, I think there are not enough other bench guys, maybe save for Joey Baker, who had a few moments that I want to highlight on on top of Theo John. So I'm going to echo Donald and say that I'm I'm most excited about Theo John. This is a guy that I, I think Duke fans would be would not, would not be unjustified. If they if they sort of thought that this was um, that this was maybe previous incarnations of of Duke getting graduate transfers, I'm thinking specifically about Patrick Tapay last year, who you know Duke, Duke was getting a big body who was coming from another Division One program and who really didn't do much for the team during actual gameplay. Um, Theo John is not Patrick Tapay. Theo John is a is a highly skilled guy who, as the you know as the broadcast was talking about was a multi-year starter for Steve Wojciechowski at Marquette, was, was playing in the Big East, was, was playing big-time opponents, and, and has all of this experience. The fact that, that Duke has him coming off the bench to spell Mark Williams and Paulo Banquero is great news for Duke fans. And by the way, I think that the, the big man play was overall, like if we were going to look at this game sort of without any pretext on who the players were, I think the big men stood out the most in this game both on offense and on defense. And, and when it comes to Theo John, the thing I was most impressed with was the, uh, was the offensive toolkit. His ability to score the basketball, not just within five feet, but even if he got the ball at 15 feet out, clearly knows where to pass it, where to drive it, and, and how to find other teammates on the floor. He's a very experienced player, and I think Duke fans are potentially underrating the impact that he's going to have on this team this year. 
especially if he is really the sixth man off the bench, if he's getting 20, 25 minutes a game, which is not, uh, which, which is not unlikely, I would say. So I, I agree with you guys that Theo John looked fabulous, but I, Sam and you alluded to this. I'm going to take Joey Baker as the sub who impressed me the most. Um, he had seven points to lead his team in the first scrimmage. Remember I mentioned the first scrimmage was sort of a balanced scrimmage as opposed to the second one where it was starters against subs. And on those balanced teams, Joey Baker was arguably maybe the best or second best player on his team um, in, in, in the scrimmage the scrimmage was a tie. So uh, Joey looked really, really good. I thought in that first scrimmage, he seemed more confident in his shot. Um, He was hunting his shot more than we've seen in the past. And I liked his ability to put it on the floor to get to the right spots inside the arc. We know Joey can hit threes, but what I saw from him was a more varied offensive game than he's had in the past. I also thought he played pretty good D. Um, he can really contribute for this team, especially uh, during the early season when A.J. Griffin is out. So I, I really like Joey Baker's play. Yeah, I, I do too. And, and honestly, the one thing that I was really encouraged about is that he was playing because as we've heard and seen through th- some of these scrimmages over the summer, he's been nagging, you know, nursing some nagging injuries and stuff, and he hasn't really played that much. So to see him play and play well and, and seem like he – is close to 100%. He's probably not at 100% officially, but he's getting there, of course. And, and so to see him play, I think, was a good thing. I will say on that note as well, we've talked about A.J. Griffin's injury. To see him out there kind of dancing and being a part of everything, even though he didn't get to play in the game, it was good to see him out there and at least have him uh, have some fun uh, because I know the last couple of weeks for him probably haven't been fun while uh, going through this injury crisis. And on Joey Baker, he is... Coach K appointed him one of the captains this week. If he is playing well, there are minutes that he will be able to grab, be they from, you know, Wendell Moore, be it from AJ Griffin while he's out, or even when he's back, there are plenty of, of places where Joey Baker can play on the floor. If he's making shots, if he's really having an impact on offense. Uh, Guys, we move on now to our next question. And we've been talking about individuals so far, so far, So I want to now get into some team-wide things. After watching the team play, what are you the most worried about this season? What is the the one area that you go, you know what? I feel like I could have seen something a little better in the the blue-white scrimmage uh, in this one arena. Sam, I'll come to you first on this one. I actually think the defense is going to be pretty good this year. Duke's got a lot of size. We talked about how big Trevor Keels is for a guard. And, and I think there's a fair amount of quickness. I don't know if, if Trevor Keels is the one bringing the quickness, but Wendell Moore looks like he's, he's slimmed down and, and is ready to, to get after guys. We know that Mark Williams is going to be good in the paint and Theo John and, and Paulo Bancaro are going to be effective there too. What I'm worried about is the shot making. And I know we saw a lot of good shot making in this game, but what I am worried about is that it'll be inconsistent. And I don't know who among the the team that we saw on Friday night is the go-to scorer for this Duke team. I think there's a lot of guys who are good scorers. I don't know if there are great scorers, if we don't get that from Paulo Bancaro and if we don't get that from AJ Griffin. Donald, how about you? What what is the thing you're most concerned about after watching the scrimmage? I I will double on Sam and and focus more on the outside shooting, the three-point shooting, because uh, as we know, last year, that was very inconsistent and shooting as as many shooters as we have on this team. We've seen that, you know, on certain days that shooting can fail you and not be present. 
and, and you can't shoot well, and you just can't get out of it. So that's always what's going to worry me because we do take a lot of shots from the perimeter. We, I mean, we saw Mark Williams hit a three-pointer. I don't think we're going to have that in our stance game. I don't think he's going to be shooting a lot three-pointers and making them, but having that there one day doesn't mean that he's going to be shooting you know, three for five uh, the whole season. So that's what's going to be the most concerning. Can they be consistent from beyond the arc? Because we've seen if they are really good from beyond the arc, we're winning basketball games by a lot. If we don't shoot well, then it's a very difficult ball game for us. So that's going to be the thing we're probably going to be focusing on all season. Uh, so gentlemen, you both said you're concerned about the shooting. I'll make it three for three. I agree that the thing that bothered me a little bit was the team didn't perform from three-point land as, as I'd quite hoped. We were four of 14 in game one, four of 16 in game two. That is eight for 30. That's less than 33%. And this team is so dominant in the post that we have got to be able to hit threes. We've got to be able to hit outside shots to keep teams from packing the lane on Palo and Mark because, and Theo for that matter. I think that this Duke team's strength is unquestionably in those three guys controlling the post. Guys, we are going to move to our next question now. I just asked what you're most worried about. What are you the most confident about? Donald, I'll come to you first. After watching the scrimmage, what's the arena where you're like, Duke has got this thing on lockdown? Ball handling, because we have a lot of guys who can handle the ball, and I think that's very important when you're talking about commanding an offense. You know, Paul Bencaro can bring the ball up. Wendell Moore can bring the ball up. Trevor Keels we saw with the ball in his hands quite a bit. Jeremy Roach is going to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. And even Jalen Blakes looked okay with the ball in his hands. Like, so we have five or six guys who can bring the ball up and be effective at distributing and commanding and, and just running an offense. That is where we ran into issues last year because we didn't have a lot of guys who were confident with the ball in their hands and we didn't have a lot of leadership to help that help overcome that. Now we have both. And I think that is the thing that I'm most excited about and most confident will be there for us. All right, Sam, your turn. What's the thing you saw that you're like, oh, we got this on lockdown, man. I'm excited for the post defense. I am, I am worried for other teams who are going to try to score inside against Mark Williams, against Theo John, and against Paulo Bencaro because there is a lot of size and a lot of quickness and a lot of reach that, and, 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 and a lot of just butt that's going to get in people's ways. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for that because, you know, Mark Williams will come in, he'll start, he'll, he'll be playing 25, 30 minutes a game. Maybe he'll have to sit with foul trouble. And guess what? When he goes out of the game, Theo John is coming in to, to bruise people up. So uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a far cry. I feel like from what we normally see uh, from, from Duke in the post. So I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of doing a, appendum so to speak on what sam just said i'm most confident about everything that happens above the rim and by that i'm talking about rebounding and rim protection mark williams was a beast on the glass he had 10 rebounds in 24 minutes of play um it, he feels like he's going to be a walking double double out there and uh, and of course he's a shot blocker and theo john is an elite shot blocker and Paolo looked like he can really board pretty nicely as well. I think that, uh, like Sam said, anyone who comes in the lane expecting to get a shot is going to be met at the rim by a truly elite shot blocker. And I think Duke, especially Mark Williams, is just going to be awesome on the offensive and defensive glass. It's, you know, I, I think it's, it, it, it's going to be the strength of this team. There's a little question about that. All right, guys. So, so we come now to the final question that I have based on what we watched 
a countdown to craziness. And the question is this, was your confidence in the team enhanced, set back, or unchanged after watching the scrimmage? Donald, I go to you first. You feeling better, feeling worse, or feeling about the same about the Duke Blue Devils? I feel like you were my eye doctor when you asked that question, because that's all he does when I'm looking at the little <laughs> lens. They say better, one or two are the same. I was going to say, same. are we going to do, was, is it is it one or two? One or two. <laughs> one, two, three, four. The answer to all those questions is unchanged. I was excited about this team before countdown. I am still excited about this team. Nothing that happened over the course of countdown has led me to anything other than pure excitement for this team and what's to come. Again, it's the first step of many. We have a long season. So I'm really, really excited to see where they can go from here because, again, I'm not worried about November Duke basketball. I want to see March and April Duke basketball at their best. To do that, you get better from here. So you know, even if you, if you have issues here and there, we have plenty of time to clean that up and improve, and these guys are going to get better day after day. Sam, your turn. Neutral, better, or worse? I think neutral relative to what I came in with probably – slightly underwhelmed by Paulo as we were talking about earlier, but uh, very positively impressed by Trevor Keels. And, and those two are probably sort of counterbalancing each other. I think as excited as I, as I was about Wendell Moore's development over the summer, we've heard so much about it, both from him and from the coaching staff that it was great, but it was kind of what I expected. So I, I would say about, about where I was before Duke is should be, a very, very good team this year. I do not know if Duke is going to be one of the best three or four teams in the country this year, but the talent is there and, and there's going to be depth on this roster to allow Duke to compete with a lot of the top tier. So uh, like both of you, I, I, I say I come out of this neutral um, and, and I'm going to amplify much of what you already said. Uh, you know, Paolo was not the dominant player that we sort of thought he was going to be. Um, uh, Jeremy Roach, a name we have not mentioned much at all on this podcast. He had some nice lobs. He, he had a, a decent number of assists, but Bates Jones and Michael uh, Savarino both outscored Jeremy Roach in the day. Th think about that for a moment. Bates Jones and Michael Savarino scored more points in this scrimmage than Jeremy Roach did. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that just, that concerns me. We, we mentioned the three pointers. Um, I thought Jalen Blake seemed a little overmatched out there. I, I, I'm somewhat skeptical, at least right now, that he's going to contribute much at all. Um, if Coach K, you know, prefers to play seven or maybe eight guys, that, that's a good thing because it feels to me like there really are only seven or eight when AJ comes back guys on this team that we can expect to contribute in a competitive game. Um, but but I temper all those negative things with, as you guys said, the positives. I loved what I saw from Trevor Keel's from Wendell Moore and from Mark Williams. We haven't talked enough on this podcast about Mark Williams. Um, my gosh, hitting that three and it, he, he did it confidently and he did it in a way that, that indicates to me that he's going to be able to occasionally step out and, and hit three pointers. You know, if teams want to just, they can't play off of him because he, he's going to be able to do that. And, and I just thought he was just remarkable in the land. I already talked about, I thought that our big man play was the most impressive thing that we saw. And a lot of that is just Mark Williams being, um, <laughs> huge in the lane and, and around the rim. He is going to provide rim protection like Duke's sort of probably never seen before. And he dunks, he dunks, he dunks, he dunks a lot. So, so 
the negatives with the positives. I come out with a, a neutral forecast, just as you guys did. And guys, with that, we're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back from the break, there is something else that went on at Countdown to Craziness. That's the fact that the crazies were there. Duke was back. Cameron was back to being what we are used to. We're going to talk about that after a quick break. Welcome back. And it's time for us to talk about stuff other than basketball that happened at Countdown to Craziness. Specifically, there was a crowd in attendance and they were absolutely hyped up, weren't they? Sam, I'll start with you. Wasn't it great? Wasn't it just fun to see that? I, I, I didn't realize how much we had missed them, but it was great to have the crazies back, wasn't it? Yeah, it's great to not be watching practice anymore, which it feels like we was all we were watching <laughs> last year was the team just practicing. And sometimes they were scrimmaging against other teams, but it was it was amazing. I, I honestly a little bit weird to see that many people crammed into such a small space, but but very exciting. Um, very we, we've talked, I think, a lot about how. Uh, how proud we are of Duke and about how well that they've handled the pandemic and, and handled kind of getting folks on campus vaccinated and, and as safe as they possibly can be. There's a, I, I think, you know, personally, there, there's a, there's a limit to how much we are going to all tolerate being separated from each other and not being able to gather. And, and Duke feels like they have threaded that needle really well. Folks on campus are, are vaccinated and are, and are, taking all the precautions that they should be taking to be able to have an event like this. And the result, I think, looked great, at least on TV. Look, the one thing about Cameron is this. I love Cameron. I know you guys love Cameron. It's the greatest thing to do in college sports. And I mentioned this on the last episode when I had talked about going down to Durham, but half of the undergraduate campus had never been in Cameron because they weren't able to last year because of COVID or they're just entering this year as freshmen. Then you have the juniors who really didn't get a full year's experience in camera, or at least it started to become kind of weird right at the very end. So it was great to see some of the old traditions be brought back out. Some of the new traditions kind of that they've had over the recent in recent years uh, really be at full throat because uh, we've all missed it. And, and clearly these, these students have not been able to experience that. So I'm glad that they were finally able to do what we love to do for the entire time when we were, we were students at Duke University. So hats off to the Cameron Crazies and to everyone who was there, uh, but especially to those Cameron Crazies who have not been able to experience that. I hope Friday night was all that you dreamed it was going to be because it sounded like it from where I was sitting. Hey, Donald, I, I do have to ask you, this is your wheelhouse. Every year, you are the expert. Tell me a little bit about what you thought about the, the, the players, their introductions, you know, the music they picked, the dance moves they had. What'd you think about all that stuff, man? Yeah, it was, it was interesting because they were very brief. Um, they weren't as long elongated as they've been in, in previous years, uh, but, but everyone on the team got a chance to do something. I will say that the winner for me is Michael Savarino. I mean, with, with star quality, he came out, he jumped up on press row. He did party in the USA and he got everybody in Cameron singing it. So uh, you have to, when it comes to showmanship, uh, he definitely, he definitely gets a great A from me for that. Uh, also, again, I kind of like Theo John just walking out and saying, Hey, I'm Theo is good to be in Cameron. And that's, and that's all he did. Like he, he, he's been here before he has been on the college days before. And he was like, look, it's time for me to do this. So uh, I, I like those two. 
all the rest of them were pretty cool. I like some of the music, obviously, um, uh, with Mark Williams coming out to uh, the new Drake, Way Too Sexy. That was awesome. I think I appreciated that. Uh, but they all had a little bit of style. And what I always say about these is this is the time where we get to know these kids. We get to know some of their style, some of their personality. And they get to let loose. AJ Griffin, like I said, has been a terrible week for him. He, you know, I was at the practice where he got hurt. And I know it's been a very difficult week for him, but for him to have a smile on his face, for him to be in his uniform and to come out and to be at least well enough to do a little dance, that's awesome. That's what you want to see. And that's what makes, that's what introduces all the, all of us to these players and helps us to become more endearing to these players as we get to know them and their style throughout the, throughout the season. So I'll just say really quickly to me, the coolest thing about the introductions was the way the whole team kind of emerged from the crowd. I loved that. I thought it like, I had no idea how these guys were going to come out and to have them, I'm not even sure if they were, you know, how exactly they arranged it, but it, it looked like they just, you know, sort of field of dreams style uh, emerged from the crowd. It was, it was very, very cool. That was amazing. And I, I can now say that that was something that was, leaked to us at this practice but we were told to keep it quiet because they wanted to surprise everyone so i'm glad it popped off the way it did because it really looked super cool how they did come from basically behind the crazies the the sea the red sea parted or the, or the blue sea here parted and they all were able to get on press row and kind of present themselves to cameron indoor stadium for the first time so i thought that was really awesome how they how that turned out and, and then the other thing about the crazies that i wanted to mention um, and this is getting into recruiting. There were three Duke recruits in the crowd, and, and one of them really, really important. Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively were both there. They, of course, obviously have already committed to Duke. They're already in the truck. Joining them was Mark Mitchell, um, a 6'8", small forward, power forward, and the crazies did their thing for Mark Mitchell. They were serenading him with chants of we need Mark. I kind of like that, by the way. Usually it's like we want Mark or, you know, please come here or something like that. They said we need Mark. And I think we do need a guy like Mark Mitchell next year. Um, uh, he, he, he would fit perfectly into the, the, the forward role that, that I think Duke is going to have. You know, Duke's going to have Derek Whitehead and Kyle Filipowski playing forward most of the time. And, and having a third guy who can sort of rotate in there with the two of them is, is absolutely essential. And Mark Mitchell will be a, a great guy to have for that. He, he posted some stuff on Instagram and elsewhere about his visit. Uh, he looks like a strong Duke lean. We don't know that, that this kid's necessarily coming to Duke, but I think the crazies did their part pretty nicely. And, and, and Derek Whitehead and, and Derek Lively were there with him. Um, and it was clear all three of them were having a really great time. They were right behind John Shire the whole time. One last thing about the crazies that I think is really important uh, they are the inspiration for this year's poster, uh, which was unveiled last uh, on Friday night at Countdown to Craziness. So uh, the the tagline of the poster, if you guys have not seen it, is is the, all the players standing on the benches in Section 17, which is where the camera crazy sit on the TV side, and the phrase "standing room only," which of course is what Cameron is when it comes to the crazy. So I thought that was really cool to kind of again, Coach K has talked about getting everyone back in Cameron and hoping that it'd be something that could spark the players. It's clearly going to be the inspiration for them this season. And by the way, we, I don't think we'll ever lose sight of this, but, but just in case anyone forgets it's coach K's last season. So the level of hype is just dialed up to 11 for 
anything countdown to craziness, any of these games, it's all going to be about coach K about, about the final season. So I, I do not expect any of the excitement to abate at any point this year. Yes. Uh, in the spirit of spinal tap, this season goes to 11. <laughs> that, that is correct. Yes. When, and, and, and they could, they could make 10 louder and just make 10 the top number, but, but no, but then season. it wouldn't be 11. It's, but it's this not season 11. goes to 11. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. We're going to, uh, we're going to wrap it up there folks uh, for Donald and Sam. I am Jason. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to have much more stuff. We are getting very, very close to the start of the college basketball season. God, I can't wait. It is almost upon us. And as we approach it, the three of us will be here uh, in your uh, podcast inbox to give you all the Duke news all the time. Uh, this has been episode 348 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thanks again. And here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home. My girlfriend and I were walking around a flea market yesterday. Yeah. And there was this vendor selling these like custom tie-dye shirts. And we bought, or she bought, I didn't, I didn't have any say in this. She bought a tie-dyed Kyrie Irving Boston Celtics t-shirt. <laughs> just because <laughs> just she was feeling like a troll. That's pretty trollish. Where 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 would you wear that? I, I was wondering, I was like, who wants you, who wants to see that?